The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. We'll be reading from Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 45. And that's on page 125 in the Black Bibles. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. May God bless the reading of the word. So on that um, light note, can I pray before we start? (laughs) Um, Hi, God. Good morning. I wonder um, where your thoughts are this morning and where your heart is, where your eyes are roaming the earth and looking for people who are after your heart so that you can support them. God, I feel like that's us right here. Um, and God, I, even though your eyes are with us and your thoughts are with us, God, I want to call your attention to us and say, God, we're here. Uh, we want to see you. Um, we want to be with you. We want to know your heart. We want to think the way you think. We want to turn our gaze to the places where your eyes go. And God, we really do want to be your hands and feet where you place us. And God, a lot of the times we're really not sure how in the place where we live or stay or work um, in our families and in the complexity that is life, how we're supposed to do all of those things. Um, But God, you gave us the Holy Spirit, and we trust that you are doing those things in our lives. And so, God, I give you this morning, and I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would use me as a tool. Um, God, none of me and all of you. God, I um, thank you so much. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I had um, to show you that video because it is so hard to explain why I was in Japan, who I was serving, and um, so I hope that video was informative to you, and I'm sure you still have a bajillion questions, and don't worry, after living there for two years, working with the Korean-Japanese people who I will call KJ, um, after working with them for two years, I still have a bajillion questions, so I'm with you. (laughs) Um, I just want you to know, though, that... um, I didn't know before I went to Japan, um, but there is less than 2% of Christians who live in Japan. I did not know that. I totally thought that anywhere that is a modern country, if we are in a first world, it is a Christian country, and that is not true. Um, Japan, despite it being a very modern country, a first world country, a country that helps other countries financially, 
they don't know Christ. And actually, it's not even like the government prevents people from believing in Jesus. There's complete religious freedom in Japan. You could even go to Japan as a missionary. Um, but there is a huge barrier in people's hearts that are against God and against faith. Um, and it's kind of strange. People, when you ask them, hey, do you believe um, in any God, any higher power, they'll say, no, I don't have any faith. I don't believe in any God. But then when push comes to shove and they have like an exam or like someone's hurt, they'll pray. They'll say, you know, someone up there, help me. Um, or they'll go to the shrine and they'll do the motions of praying and giving alms and things like that. And you wonder, how does that work? You just told me you don't believe God, but then you still pray when things get hard and you still seek for God or somehow higher power out there. And so I don't know what that is, except it's probably the powers in this world that veils people's eyes away from the truth. And um, that is alive and well in Japan, and especially among the Korean-Japanese people. Um, so the KJ, among the KJ, um, there's, I want to say like 0% Christians. I could name the two Christians that I know there who um, I had the privilege of discipling while I was there. And I can say that because the community uh, that once began as 600,000 people has now shrunk to about 70,000 people. And that's because of all the politics that have erupted. People are now in their fourth, fifth generation of living in Japan, and they no longer feel like they need to associate themselves with this um, culture that is antagonists to the community where they live. And so a lot of them left. Now there's only about 70,000 of them. And if you are a foreigner in that community working with those people or um, somehow you're affiliated with them, they want to do this thing where they introduce you to all the other foreigners. And so they immediately assume that you're a foreigner, they're a foreigner, so you have to meet. So I met all the foreigners, and none of them are believers, or at least they never say, you know, they're probably believers. Um, and so um, because of that, I know that there's probably almost zero Christians in this community. Um, and I don't know about you, but I didn't know about them until maybe like, three months before I left to Japan, and I imagine maybe for some of you, this is the first time ever hearing about this people group, and that's another reason why there's almost no Christians among this community. They're kind of like the abandoned people of history, the forgotten people of history, the um, people who like war happened and life went on and nobody remembered that there was consequences of war um, living in um, the places where war happened. And so I had the privilege of um, 
serving in that community as an English teacher. I didn't teach directly as a teacher in a school because it's really hard to build relationships with students when you're a teacher in an official school. Um, but I taught in a small like a tutoring center and by word of mouth, kids would introduce other kids to me. And through um, weekly English conversation lessons or um, through English through the Bible lessons, I would be able to share the good news with them. Um, so that's a little bit of background about how um, these people groups, I've, um, I've been able to work with them. Um, but I want us to kind of like go back and forth between my experience and Mary's experience in the passage. So um, if we take a look in our Luke 1 through 39 through 45 passage, um, right before what happens, right before she goes to Elizabeth, um, she meets an angel. Angel Gabriel appears and says, ta-da, I'm here, and just in case you're not feeling overwhelmed about preparing for a wedding with your fiancé, um, you're God's favorite, and he chose you to have his child. Um, yeah, don't worry about sleeping with anybody, because that's just going to happen miraculously, and if you don't believe that God can do that, just like call up Elizabeth. She is super old, and she's pregnant, and God did that, so God's going to do that to you. Don't worry. Um, don't doubt God. So that's what happens right before in this passage. And so I imagine, like, if I was Mary, I would feel so overwhelmed. I'm like, what? Like, I was just planning a wedding, and that's overwhelming, and now I'm going to have a child, maybe? And also, this angel appeared. Like, am I seeing things? Am I healthy? Like, is this okay? Um, I think my life's going to change, and I don't know how I feel about that. Do I have time to feel about that right now? Like, you know, so I would feel super overwhelmed. And I imagine we've all been in that kind of environment at one point, point in our lives. Um, all of you seem young-ish, old-ish. Um, and <laughs> that means that we've had one of the one, maybe two or three of those moments where we feel completely overwhelmed and life hits us by surprise and it's unexpected. And we're like, um, God, that wasn't supposed to happen, but it happened, so help me deal with that. And that's probably, probably where Mary was, like feeling overwhelmed. And that's kind of how I felt when I was moving to Japan. Um, I wasn't planning on moving. I was like, God, um, I'm in Baltimore right now. I'm teaching English to students who also need to hear about you and need to feel your love. There is no point in me moving to a whole nother country to do exactly the same thing. Like, what's the point of, like, teaching English in another country where I don't have family, I don't have friends, I don't have church, they might not even really be a church there, and I'm going to do the same thing, like made no sense, right? So I started praying, and I was like, okay, God, I guess I should pray about this, so let me pray about this, um, but FYI, I don't really want to go there. Um, so I prayed about it, and <laughs> the problem is when you pray and God wants you to do something, he changes your heart. So 
my, my heart started changing, and I was starting to feel like, okay, maybe I can move there. Yeah, I mean, I'm still young. Yeah, maybe I can go there. Um, but I was like, God, I need a verse. Like, if I'm going to make a life-altering decision, I need scripture from your word to prove that that's what I need to do because, um, you know, stuff is going to hit the fan, and I'm going to need your word to hold on to. So I started reading the Bible, and you know where you do that thing where you want something and you start reading into the Bible a little bit? So I was like, I'm not going to do that. Um, so I read the Bible, and I come to John 4.38, and it says, actually, it's Mark 1.38. No? John 4.38. You're right. I'm right. I'm right. John 4.38. Yeah. Um, so it says, I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So that comes right after the passage where um, Jesus says, uh, look up to the harvest and see that it is plentiful. Um, ask the Lord of the harvest to send more workers to the harvest. And then he says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you are entering into their labor. And I felt that way about moving to Japan. Other people are already working there, and I'm just joining in the work that they are doing. And so I was looking forward to doing that. I took that word, and I was like, okay, that means God wants me to go there. People are working there. I'm going to just join them in the work. And um, despite the fact that I'm doing exactly the same thing, it will be more effective in a country where people don't even hear about Jesus. So I went with this expectation, excited to join in the work of other people. But what I did not know at the time was that no one was going to be there physically. Um, and so when I joined my team, uh, my supervisor and his wife, uh, my team of two, like my supervisor, his wife, and me, um, they had been sharing the good news with about 5,000 people, and they baptized 35 people among the 70,000 people in the Korean-Japanese community for over four and a half years. And um, I know these numbers because you like keep track of like who you've shared with and who you've baptized. And technically, 35 people in four and a half years like sounds like a lot to ordinary people like you and me who maybe share once a year. Um, but for people who do it full time, this is very low. And so um, it sounds a little bit crazy, but that just shows you how challenging it is to reach these people. And they had been faithfully teaching and serving, um, teaching English to people and meeting people of all ages, maybe average 90 people a month. And so they were going to go on sabbatical one month after I got there. So in one month, they introduced me to like 113 students and their families and all these people in the community. And they said, all right, Helen, you got this? And I was like, yeah, I got this. And then they left. Um, and, you know, I pulled out my whole, like, Wonder Woman cape, and I was like, yeah, I got this. Like, I've taught for four years in Baltimore City. Like, there is nothing that these students can do to me. Also, like, I'm God's favorite, so clearly, like, God's going to vlam, and, like, everyone's going to become a believer, and this is going to be great. And for, like, a couple of months, it really was great. Like, first of all, no one was cussing me out. What? No, no student <laughs> cussing me out? Ah, 
Okay, right? And then um, kids liked me. <gasps> kids like me. Oh my gosh. Um, and I love them. This is so great. Um, but after a few months, uh, it started going downhill. And um, it wasn't going downhill in my life, just in my head and in my heart. And actually, that was the hardest part. And I couldn't understand what was happening. I was like, wait, I'm Wonder Woman. Um, wait, it's so beautiful here. Like, the way that I know God is um, by looking at nature. And nature in Japan is beautiful. It's, you have, like, the best landscapers that make everything immaculate. immaculate. And um, I never knew spring was as beautiful until I moved to Japan. I was like, wow. Nature is so beautiful. God loves me so much. That's why he gave me this nature. Like, not anybody else, just for me, God made this nature, and God loves me so much. And despite being in this beautiful environment, and despite feeling God's love for me through nature, I was feeling really torn and started feeling really crazy. And so I um, called up a counselor, and I was like, hey, uh, I'm feeling really crazy. Like, I shouldn't feel crazy because I'm doing great, and um, kids love me, and I think I love them, but I feel not good. What is happening? And she was like, I think you're lonely. And I was like, what? I'm not lonely. Like, I got this. I'm Wonder Woman. I don't need people. Like, God loves me. I have God. I don't need other people in my life. No, I'm not lonely. Um, and then she was like, why don't you look at the Bible? And so, you know, great idea. Let me look in the Bible. Prove, you know, prove that this is true or false. Um, so I look in the Bible, and I, you know, in Genesis, it talks about creation. And, you know, Adam, he lived in perfect nature. Like, we're talking Hakuna Matata every day. You know what I'm saying? Like, the things you see that people illustrated, he saw every single day, like immaculate waterfalls, sunrise, like beautiful. Also, he like touched animals, all of them, and they were nice to him. He named them. And then, Homeboy, like, walked with God every day. He saw God. He, like, held God's hand. And, like, his routine was, hey, God, what's up? And God would be like, hey, what's up? You know? Like, he did that every day. And yet, God looked at him and was like, Adam is lonely. And so he made Adam another human being. You would think, like, if Jesus is coming, then God should have made Adam Jesus, but he didn't. He didn't make Adam another God. He made him Eve, another human being. I was like, right? Because I did not know until that time that me and God is not enough. And that's not some like chip on my shoulder or because like I'm not enough, but that's because that's how God designed for us to know his love. Like, we are designed to need other people in our lives to know God's love for us. And I didn't know that because, you know, I was Wonder Woman and, like, I got this and, you know, woman power and all of that. So um, God's word fixed that. 
he was like, no, Helen, you need other people in your life. And let me tell you, it completely transformed the way that I think about community, about my friends, about uh, family and marriage and um, church. Before, it was all like extra bonus, like me and God and then everything else is bonus. Like it's nice to have, but I don't need it. Um, but now, after that, I realize I need people in my life. I need community in my life. I need my family. I need my friends. I'm so needy. <laughs> I need people. Love me more, right? Um, and I did not know that. But that's how God made for us to know his love. And so I started embracing that need instead of saying, I'm independent, and I got this. I was like, I don't got this. I need friends, and I appreciate if you're my friend. I appreciate if you're my church. I appreciate if you're my family, all of those things. Um, so that was one major life shift. And even through that craziness, like, I mean, I'm summarizing it in like two minutes, right? But this happened over like a year. And through it, I was going like this, like legit, you know, like crying one day. And one day I'd be like, yeah, I'm doing so great. And another day I'd be like so low, like, why am I here? I'm moving back. And then, you know, like doing great the next day. Um, and through this up and down, um, there were so many days when I woke up and the only thing that I could do was get myself to the student. Like, I couldn't prepare anything to teach them. Like, you know, I didn't even do my QT. Like, I would talk to God like this, hey, God, what's up? You know what I need? Yeah, thanks. Um, like, that's how I talk to God. And then, you know, and I'm doing M work full time. And so you would think, like, I do, like, QT for two hours every day. No, that was not how it was. It was, like, five seconds. And I was like, God, get me to this student. And if I can get there, like, that's, that's like my best. And so through my best, which was showing up in front of my students, crawling there somehow, battling myself to get myself in front of that student, God used me. Um, I don't even know how to express that. I hope you just feel it. Like when you wake up and you crawl yourself to the place God has placed you. God uses you. And that's not because you're so awesome. That's not because I'm so Wonder Woman. Um, but that's because God loves his people. And God wants to use you in that place to talk to the people he loves so much. Um, and so in this, you know, this waves that are happening, um, so many people heard the gospel. Like in that first quarter, one student became a believer and that got me motivated. And in the second quarter, like nine students agreed to learn English using Bible stories. And then by the end of my first year, 87% of my students studied Bible stories on a weekly basis. 10% of them read the Bible weekly. And then through these Bible-themed stories, 45 students heard the good news and nine of them received Jesus for the first time. So praise God. Praise God. Remember, I was like crawling to get to the student, right? Like God did that. God knows that. I know that, and I hope you know that too. Like, God 
did that. Um, in the midst of this up and down, if like that loneliness thing wasn't enough, I was feeling blindsided by the slew of rejections and the ideological barriers and the history of apathy in Japan among the KJ. So contemporary science teaches us that we should only trust what we can prove with our senses. Uh, so what you can see, what you can touch, smell, those are the things that are real. But as I faced rejection after rejection, God's grace was the only thing sustaining my ability to believe that the harvest is plentiful, as he said. Um, and sometimes I felt offended on God's behalf. I would tell him, God, don't worry. They don't need you anyway. Um, <laughs> other times I felt crazy for telling the students who had never thought about the concept of God that there is a God, that God had a son and no wife, um, that he sent his son to forgive us of our sins, and yes, he was fully man and fully God, and that his son Jesus died for our sins and resurrected from the dead, a.k.a. he came back to life. Like, if, if you're somebody who, have, who has never thought about higher power ever, I know that's hard because we grow up in America where, like, people talk about Chris, Christmas all the time, um, but if you have never thought about the concept of God in your life, just the concept of God is mind-blowing. You're like, whoa, another dimension? The spiritual dimension and there's God? That's hard. But then you tell them, like, God had a son. What? God had a son? And then you tell him, like, hey, you're a sinner. Wait, but I don't kill anybody. And then you tell them God used his son to save your life. What? I don't need saving. I'm, like, doing pretty great, actually. Um, and then he came back to life. Okay, he did not come back to life because, like, no one comes back to life. Uh, so I could see how they think it's so strange. Um, as I'm saying all of this, I'm like, I'm, I sound pretty crazy. Like, yeah, they shouldn't believe me. Like, that, that is kind of far out there. Um, and so I would oscillate between, like, yeah, they should believe God. God did so many great things. And, like, I'm kind of crazy. Like, I'm telling them stuff that is unreal. Like, science told them to believe what they can see. And they, I can't even, like, show them God. Yeah, like, I get them. Um, and so here's what I kept praying. I kept praying. Lord, you sent me to the harvest, not because it needed work, but because it was plentiful. You said that it's plentiful, and so I refuse to believe that your word isn't true. It's either your word isn't true or I am blind, and I just refuse to believe that your word isn't true, so I'm blind. Open my eyes to see the, the truth of your good news, like the truth, the harvest is plentiful. And even though my students reject the gospel over and over, help me open my eyes to see the harvest. Your word says it doesn't return void. And so for me, faith looked like rejecting what science told me is true. Faith looked like not believing what my senses were saying, which was, I see kids thinking I'm crazy. 
I hear them rejecting the gospel. Um, I sense this awkward tension when I bring up the gospel at all in any shape. And yet I reject those things as truth because God's word says it's not true. Um, And that added to me a layer on top of the crazy, right? So I was feeling lonely, crazy, and then like gospel crazy. So it was like lots of crazy happening in my heart. Um, But let's go back to Mary. Mary was feeling overwhelmed, right? She probably felt a little crazy too. She's like, did I see an angel? Like, I don't know. Did have you seen an angel before? Like, did I see an angel? Right? So she's feeling a little bit crazy. And I think back on Mary's faith in verse 38. And I wonder if she had that oscillation like I did, like going from faith back to doubt, back to faith, back to doubt. Because in verse 39, she went to her cousin Elizabeth. And Um, I didn't know until I looked this up, but apparently um, Elizabeth lived probably about 70 miles away from Nazareth, and she probably went there to confirm if um, if what the angel said was true. So, She wants to know if her cousin is actually pregnant, like the angel said, and that would tell her if that was going to happen to her if she was going to actually become pregnant too. So I imagine she's like, all right, I feel a little bit like unsure. Let me see if what the angel said is truth about, said is, said about Elizabeth is true. And then I'll know if what the angel said to me is true. So she runs over there and um, she finds Elizabeth. And Elizabeth greets her like this, um, verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And I look at Elizabeth's response, her greeting of Mary, and I wonder if I, like Mary, have someone like Elizabeth to go to. Um, someone I trust is filled with the Holy Spirit who will greet me in love even when I come unannounced and overwhelmed. And people who can call out God's calling in my life, who can affirm the leap of faith that I decided to take to celebrate my joys with me and to bless me. And I wonder, also on the flip side, if I, like Elizabeth, or if we, like Elizabeth, are the people these Marys can come to, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, people who greet others with love, even when they come unannounced and overwhelmed, people who need for us to call out God's calling in their lives, to affirm their faith journey, to celebrate them in joy, and to bless them, even when they come with nothing. And I want to be 
the Elizabeths to the Marys and to be the Mary to the Elizabeth. They, in their vulnerability to each other, they were able to find community and love that God designed for them to have, right? They saw God through each other. They felt affirmed in God's calling in their lives through each other. And um, the way that they were vulnerable with each other in their moment of uncertainty, well, in Mary's uncertainty, um, I imagine is what God is calling me to do and us to do. Um, So something that I've been thinking a lot about recently and also in the two years while all the ups and downs were happening is joy. And I keep thinking to myself, God, how can I have joy? What does it look like to have supernatural joy, joy that transcends all the circumstances of my life? God, you promised that joy is something that I would have, and yet why do I feel so down all the time? I don't understand. And I, I was grappling with, like, is joy a feeling or is joy a choice? When people say, like, choose joy, what does that even mean? Um, And I was asking God to give me supernatural joy. God, I don't really know what joy looks like, what it feels like to have it all the time. Um, And so God, give me supernatural joy. And it isn't until very recently, like two weeks ago, actually, um, that I learned that supernatural joy, to have supernatural joy, is also to have supernatural vulnerability. I don't know if you know this person named Brene Brown. She's a psychologist. Uh, she, gave, she gave like this super viral TED Talk, and now she writes books on um, community and connectedness and all of those things. And I was reading one of her books, and she said, uh, to have, when you have the most joy, that is when you are the most vulnerable. It was in a book about leadership, so I don't know how she started talking about joy, but I was like, in that moment, God was talking to me. God was like, hey, Helen, in, when you feel a lot of joy, that's when you will feel the most vulnerable. And remember, like, think back to, like, Helen Min, who wants to be a Wonder Woman in all circumstances. Like, Wonder Woman is not vulnerable. She is, like, superhero power all the time. And I did not like vulnerability. I didn't like being out of control. I don't like to be weak. Um, None of that, right? Vulnerability, not my thing. I mean, I I could share, but only when I've like filtered through what I want to share. Not when I really want to get deep in vulnerability, no. Um, And so when I thought uh, about it, joy, vulnerability, and I have to have both at the same time, it kind of clicked. Like, Wow, the reason why I was struggling so much to have joy is because I was turning off vulnerability. I was pushing vulnerability away. So when God was bringing me joy, I was saying, no, God, because I don't want the vulnerability that comes with it. Um, It's the emotion you have when, I mean, I've never had a child, so I don't know. But um, apparently it's the emotion you have when you have a child and you're looking at it, I mean, at him or her, 
yeah, when you're looking at the child and um, you're like so elated about that child and simultaneously so afraid because you are thinking about all the bad things that might happen to this child. Or if you don't have a child, think about like your pet, right? Or, um, <laughs> hey, that's a real thing. Um, or like um, when you made a great victory in your team or at work, and then in that moment, you're like, wait, I can't celebrate this too much because it, it'll go away, so I gotta like keep up this pace in my work, and we can't celebrate because it's too early, can't count my chickens before they hatch, um, and so let's just like keep going. And that's because we feel vulnerable in that moment. But if we don't hold joy in the same hand as vulnerability, we can't experience the joy that God has for us. And so um, I realize in my relationships with people and in my life circumstances, in order to have supernatural joy, I must also be supernaturally vulnerable. And I say supernatural because on my own, I cannot do either one. I can't be vulnerable I feel like I can't be vulnerable, and so I push away what I think are negative emotions, um, when in reality, they're not negative, they just make me feel uncomfortable. Um, and I push those things away, and I say, no, no, no. And at the same hand, I push away joy, and community, and uh, friendships, and church, and family, and all of those things that show us God's love for us. And so, I want to close out by um, telling you what happened towards the end of um, my time in Japan, but also um, like wrapping it up in a nice bow. Um, as I thought back on the two years and the tsunami that it felt like uh, to move to a new country, to adjust to a new workday, to transition into new relationships, it was really God's grace alone that helped me to live by faith and not by sight. And in the almost two years, if I count the goodness just by what I can see, uh, 10 students accepted the gospel and eight people were baptized and that is amazing. Um, and I'm so grateful to be a witness to that harvest. I'm so grateful to have been able to partner with God in what he's doing over there. Uh, but also, I'm so excited for where he's placed me now and where he's placed all of us. And I'm so excited that with the knowledge that I have, that yes, I need community. I need other people in my life to know God's love for me. Um, yes, I need vulnerability and I need the joy that comes with it, what God will do, um, how he will continue to use me to share his love with other people, how he will continue to challenge me to be a Mary, vulnerable and weak and overwhelmed in other people, with other people, um, but also help me to be an Elizabeth, um, to be a friend, to be a listening ear, to celebrate the joys and to call out the um, journey, faith journeys that people have um, from God. 
Um, so I want to thank all of you because um, I don't know, I mean, some of you don't know me, but um, you guys have been praying with me for the two years, and I really, really felt literally um, your prayers with me for the two years. So thank you so much. Thank you. Let me just take a moment and, we, and pray with Helen um, right now. Father, I thank you so much for um, bringing her back um, uh, safely, but yet, Lord, um, uh, with eyes to see. Father, I pray that we would learn uh, from her. And Father, even though she's a couple hours away, uh, Lord, I pray that, that uh, we could continue to walk together, knowing that uh, there's just some great work that needs to be done. Lord, we want to see your kingdom come everywhere. Lord, we want to see your will being done everywhere. Father, we are tired of seeing people oppressed. Uh, Father, we do not want to be oppressors. Father, help us to see where we are oppressing others. Father, I, I pray, Lord, that, that people will find safety with us, that people will find community with us, that people will find you in the midst of us. And Father, um, would you help us to excel at love? And Lord, we... Um, we thank you for just the story um, of hope. We thank you for the story of Christ um, that you're uh, writing in Helen's life. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to help her to run her race all the way to the end. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.